Welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. We just finished watching uh, the debate, Senate debate between Martha McStally and Kirsten Sinema. So we'll be talking about national issues and, uh, and the debate and the candidates with the campaign uh, coming to a close this next few weeks. And I'll just say, uh, I'll start out with a personal reflection that, you know, I look at a lot of these things through the, through the lens of a teacher and someone who's teaching government right now. And I've been very disappointed in how this campaign has, has played out. I ask my students uh, what they know, you know, early on, and they say, you know, all they know is the insulting messages back and forth. And, and uh, you know, to be, a, to be a teacher of government in an important election year, especially, uh, you know, the Senate seat opening up, I think it's just a, an excellent opportunity to learn for young, for young people to learn about the issues and and uh, and the candidates. And I just think uh, the tone of of the commercials of of everything has just been almost uh, disgusting to to me as a teacher and disappointing to me for my for my students. We people talk about why young people don't vote and why people are uh, feel. Uh, disconnected from what's going on. I think this is, that's why. I mean, there's so much, there's so much going on they could tune into and to make it so ugly, I think has been, has been disappointing. So for me, I mean, I, I think this debate that we just watched, just a, for me, it was almost a continuation of that. I was, I, uh, um, I was going to maybe play the debate in, in class. I still might uh, to just to analyze it. But I think in terms of uh, educational experience of learning about the issues, to me that, that wasn't exactly what got through in the debate. What was your thought? Uh, I thought that the debate was um, better uh, than the commercials, but that's a fairly low threshold to have to um, cross. Um, and what's particularly disappointing to me uh, is, as I wrote in a column several weeks ago, these are actually two very, very good candidates, good politicians. Both of them in different ways, I think, would be highly effective senators for the state. Um, so this actually should be a moment of uplift uh, about democracy. This is not choosing the lesser of evils. These are two good choices, depending upon whether your preference is for a center-left or a center-right candidate. Uh, and the campaign has just been a cesspool. Uh, I do think that, that the tone until the end got elevated a little bit during this debate, and they did talk about substantive issues in the midst of calling each other liars. <laughs> but that's what I mean. It's like, if I'm, if I'm playing this for, for students, right, it's like, you know, from, from healthcare to Social Security and, and Medicare to immigration, pretty much all it was is, you voted to destroy this. No, you're lying. You voted to destroy this. And it's like, well, we're, you know, as a teacher, it's almost like, well, why even watch the debate? Why not just read about the issues and, and, and what they care about? I mean, from, from just watching that, there's no way to... There's no educational value in it, I don't think, for, for voters, unless you want to spend yeah, the, all your time actually researching, you know, both things on your own, and why not do that anyway? I, I can't quarrel with that at all. The only educational value 
of it is that it is a snapshot of what of the state of American democracy uh, in yeah. one of the most crucial races in the entire country. This is what it consists of, and I concur that it is distressing. I also have long contended that it's not necessary, um, that you can win elections without resorting to this, uh, and um, there are more persuasive things than you're lying, no, you're lying. So I guess we can talk about some of the some of the substance and and the and the issues going on. One of the things I was I was interested in is you've you've said that you don't think that McSally would be a, a rubber stamp on Trump, um, but isn't I'm not, if you get elected as a Republican, don't you have like an enormous amount of of pressure with the party to to go along with with Trump, uh, even if it's unconscionable? Um, certainly. Uh, most Republicans are hesitant to criticize a president of their own party, uh, and that's particularly taxing on Republicans while Donald Trump uh, is uh, president. Um, but uh, McSally is a substantive policy person, and she has demonstrated that in the way that she has worked with the Trump administration on a couple of key issues. Um, she mentioned both of them. This was one substantive part of the debate. Uh, military spending, um, the, that's something that she cares strongly about. She sort of has inherited the McCain-Kyle platform of a strong national defense, and she was important in uh, getting the significant increase in defense spending that was part of this last budget. It's a point of criticism from my standpoint, but it's a point of accomplishment from her standpoint. Uh, and on immigration reform, she got the president to give on a variety of hard lines in the dirt that he had drawn on immigration to support the compromise that she described. Um, it wasn't, however, just killed by the lack of democratic support. Uh, it included a uh, pathway to legalization uh, for children brought here illegally, uh, as, uh, illegally at, when they were children. And there is a faction of Republicans that are no amnesty for anybody anytime. And they also voted against it. So it actually was, <laughs> while she wanted it to be a bipartisan success, it actually was a bipartisan group that uh, toppled it. But she did get Trump to move. So I, I do not think she's going to be a rubber, rubber stamp. I think she would share the reluctance of other Republicans to criticize him publicly, even when he richly deserves it. Uh, but I think she understands that he is president, and if you want to get things done, that goes through the president. I think this is. I think it's what voters are are thinking about right now. I certainly, I certainly am thinking about this. Is would 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 Martha McSally be willing to make a politically career-ending move if she thought it was in the best interests of the country when it comes to Trump? It would depend upon the issue. If it was national defense, about which she has a passion, uh, yes. Um, if it's about some deregulation move that she might disagree with, then, then I think... But when it came... No. But, but I don't think... I mean, the, the people who, who are going to judge a candidate by whether they are 
going to be willing to stand up for Trump aren't McSally voters. I mean, she, she's made it clear that she supports this president. She has worked with this president. She's going to continue to work with this president. Her problem, I think, is with people who don't mind that, can even see advantages. The guy's president, whether you like it or not, that's the only way you get things done. But um, cinema, her, her own, McSally's own advertising campaign and the response to it by cinema and uh, the independent campaign, independent expenditure campaigns aligned with her, um, has succeeded in creating a sense that McSally is excessively um, nasty and, and a liar, and, and that has stuck. I think that's her main political hurdle to overcome, uh, and I don't think I, she succeeded. I, th I think she gained on it in the first part of the debate. Uh -huh. I think she gave up all of those gains by the way she ended the debate. Yeah, so so you had a very strong reaction. You were watching uh, the debate, and it was pretty scripted, I'd say, on, on both sides. Um, cinema was very scripted. Um, even you know, one thing that stood out to me is Martha McSally uh, was attacking her pretty hard on, on the back page stuff, which, uh, you know, I think are, are pretty pretty ugly pretty ugly attacks, and then she you know cinema kind of stayed st stayed. Uh, you know, I, I thought at some point cinema might turn and, and attack you know a little bit stronger for all the ads and, and being over the top because I think how, that's how people feel. Um, but she she was very scripted the whole time, and Martha McSally you know different different tone, but was also I thought pretty scripted the whole time until at the very end. Um, turn. They didn't talk about military until the very end. They didn't at all. So Martha McSally um, brings it up and then immediately turns it into a attack on cinema for a comment she made in a radio show many years ago about uh, saying someone might have, you know, whatever, go to the Taliban. I haven't seen or heard the actual words, but that she said this person could go, an American person won't could go to the Taliban if they wanted to. And McSally said the word, basically accused cinema of treason for saying that. And you had a very strong reaction um, that that was a step way too far. The, substantively, um, I've also not heard the tape, and tonality would make a big difference uh, in terms of whether she was actually seriously saying she didn't care whether an American joined the Taliban or not. But in terms of tactical, um, you, you have this problem that McSally has going in of being regarded as nasty and a liar. I think that she overcame and helped herself in that score um, for the first part of the debate. But television is famous as a cool medium. Uh, and at the, she was a little bit on the hot side the entire debate. At the end, she boiled over on this particular issue. Uh, and uh, I think that the charge of treason uh, will be regarded as offensive to voters who otherwise might have walked away with a more favorable impression of McSally uh, than they previously had, and, and whose mind up until that point in the debate 
might have been more open uh, to her. Um, so um, it may be a serious thing. I do believe that if she, not being sarcastic or making a bad joke, said, I don't care if someone went and joined the Taliban fighting U.S. troops, that is potentially very, very serious. Uh, but just strictly from a tactical standpoint, getting that hot in that medium at that juncture in the debate, I think, was a serious misstep. But uh, but the word treason, you thought, was even, I mean, not just, I mean, I think getting getting upset about something that the other person said is one thing, but it seemed like you reacted instantly, just the word treason being used directly I, as an accusation. I, I thought she had gotten too hot before she issued that word, and then she issued that word. And before you introduce that to an audience, um, you need to lay, I mean, that is as serious a charge as you can level against another American. You need to lay a very clear, thoughtful predicate before you render that conclusion. And I just think it will alienate um, voters who potentially might have had their minds somewhat changed about McSally and who she is. And this is, this is the problem I have with, uh, with Trump himself, is the elevation of you know, dangerous rhetoric that you would normally think of as dangerous and wrong is is spouted out every day by the president of the United States. Anytime you go to his rally, he's undermining uh, everything, calling you know, questioning people's Americanness if they disagree with them, and otherwise, like, why, why does? I mean, maybe no other politician has the same lack of rules applied to him as uh, as Trump, because maybe it's just so much. But why is that a step too far in the atmosphere that Trump's created? I mean. It seems like just a, just well, a, just be. throwing out the, the accusation of treason. It seems like just a progression of, of where we're going with with Trump as president. It, it won't be to the Trump voters, uh, and uh, one of the things that McSally is trying to do is to increase core Republican turnout in this sense of stake that they have in the outcome of this election. You, you and I disagree um, about Trump and the extent to which he is something different or something the same, just more extreme, and frankly, more effective. Um, uh, saying vile, disgusting, demagogic thing things about your opponent and explicitly or implicitly questioning their patriotism uh, has unfortunately been standard fare for quite a while. The first person I heard utter the phrase, we have to take our country back from a political opponent, was Hillary Clinton um, about George W. Bush. Um, so, um, I mean, Trump is at least a step further and maybe two or three steps further. Uh, he is much more effective at it uh, than other practitioners. But sad to say, I don't think that he is of a completely different kind uh, than um, our run-of-the-mill politicians in this country. It's, what, what, I it's think is, sad. what I think is different is um, one thing Martha McSally said in the beginning when she was saying that she would work with Trump is that she thinks 
She thinks that he cares about ordinary Americans. I, from what I've seen, he doesn't care about anything but himself. I know that's maybe you know I'm, I'm accusing someone of being being that, but from I mean from what I've what I've seen, uh, the best interest of America isn't at at his core. I mean, and that's and that's for me personally. Um, it, it's hard. It's hard for me. Uh, to get to get behind or vote for someone that I think would be hesitant, you know, to put America's interest in front of uh, political interests, and I and so far there's not been a lot of Republicans that I can say are, are willing to put their own political interest on the back burner for American interests. Well, I, I I once gave a speech to a <laughs> Republican audience when. Um, I mildly defended Barack Obama about something. Uh, and um, someone in the audience um, started talking about how vain and egomaniacal he was. And I turned to the person and I said, and in Washington, D.C., that distinguishes him how? Okay. Um, what, what, what is at the heart of Trump? I suspect you're right. It's all about him. Uh, he's given every indication of that. But when, for many of us on the right, when you look at what he has done, um, supply-side tax cuts that has gotten the economy going, deregulation that has freed up uh, economic activity, a conservative Supreme Court uh, stacking, stocking the um, appellate courts with conservative judges, uh, filling the district court judge with conservative judges. Uh, and for, I, I tend not to be a Republican hawk uh, on uh, national defense issues, uh, but uh, for many conservatives, tearing up the Paris po uh, Climate uh, Accords, uh, with announcing the intent to withdraw from the Iranian nuclear deal. Uh, these are regarded by a very strong segment um, of the electorate, uh, and particularly in conservative circles, as doing very, very, very good things for the country. Yeah, from I go back and forth. I'm... Uh on, on my perception of how dangerous or bad Trump is for the uh, for the country, because nothing nothing I've ever heard him say or or tweet or whatever makes me think that he's got any sort of conservative framework philosophy that he's that he's developed as being well read, and he's got these these uh, things that he's he's trying to get accomplished. To you know, at, at for me, at best. Uh, he's, you know, a, uh, egomaniac kind of dopey guy who's letting all this stuff happen because he knows that that's kind of the deal. I, I, I get this stuff done and you call me, you know, God's gift to humanity and say that it's the only way we're going to save anything well, is if you keep voting for me. And if you, and if you impeach me, that the economy is going to collapse and you're all going to be poor. I mean, that's basically his, to, to me, and I go back and forth. Sometimes I, I, you know, I, I convince myself that, you know, it's not that bad. It's just an ordinary thing, and and liberals are freaking out. But I'm currently at the state where I'm, <laughs> I'm back to thinking that maybe he's a he's a unique threat to democracy. Well, br bringing it back to the debate in in Kirsten Cinema, um, one of the questions I I mean, the, obviously, 
conservatives believe that she's flying under false colors, that she is, she's still the radical that mm-hmm. she was in the way that she's been documented. Um, and I've always asked the question, what does it matter? I mean, ultimately, you are what you do. Uh, and if she is being a centrist out of calculation or conviction, in the end, does it really matter? Uh, it's how she votes and what she tries to do. And I think, I, I don't think there is any intellectual conservative who would disagree uh, with your evaluation that Trump does not come from a well-founded um, philosophical conservative base. Um, but uh, in the end, uh, what matters is what he does. And there's a lot in that that a lot of conservatives find to cheer. But at what cost? You know what I'm saying? Like all the norm-breaking stuff. And I, I don't think the Democrats are doing themselves any favors by trying to match the tone and the intensity. You know, I've uh, there's a column by Brett Stevens, conservative columnist, New York Times, who is openly cheering for the Democrats to take back the House and the Senate. So you have George a, Will has done the same. And so you have, but you have a conservative that wants that to happen, and he's basically saying the Democrats are blowing this by trying to I- mimic uh, Trump tactics and going over the top, and that it will it'll backfire. Well, again, I. I disagree about the extent to which yeah. Trump is violating norms as opposed to bringing them to their logical conclusion and playing the game better than anybody else. Um, but do you think, let's, uh, do you think that, <clears throat> the, I've heard, kind of taking this off track a little bit, but that's yeah, okay. Uh, there's been a lot of columns back and forth I, I've been reading about some people think that the, the, the tone that we're at now is like at a dangerous level. Even some people think like we're, our country is being torn apart, especially after the Kavanaugh um, confirmation process was so heated. And you, you hear like, you know, it's tearing, it's tearing the country apart. Do you think, and maybe if you can compare it to other times in history, do you think we're in a, in a dangerous place in terms of how, how divided we are, or do you think this is just one of those times where, where it gets heated and, and you know, equilibrium will, will set in or just the, the norm will, will continue? But political discourse in the United States has always involved a high degree of hyperbole, um, vilification of your opponents, uh, demagoguery. Um, and the rhetoric we're hearing today is no different than our political rhetoric going back to the first contested presidential race in 1800. Um, What's different is uh, in those days, um, you would get a pamphlet, you would go hear a speech. It was an unusual event to get bathed uh, in all of that. Now it is ubiquitous. You can't watch a television show without having it thrown uh, in your face. Uh, and th- there's no question that, that Trump is an um, inflammatory accelerant uh, to the normal partisan hyperbole, vilification, uh, demagoguery. 
Uh, and you also have the fact that Democrats have a reason to believe uh, that they have had two recent presidential elections stolen from them by the Electoral College, that uh, their man, uh, Al Gore in 2000 and Hillary Clinton in 2016, their woman in 2016, uh, won the popular vote, uh, but the other side got all the power. Um, so I think that um, has raised the temperature uh, on the left Trump is a divider, no question about it, uh, and a, he inflames both his supporters and his mm -hmm. opponents. Um, so I, I would say it, uh, it's at a higher pitch. I, again, I, I think it's a matter of degree, not a difference in kind, um, but um, I do think that there is an underappreciation for the sharp cultural differences that exist in this country and the extent to which that contributed to Trump's victory in 2016. Yeah. Trump's coming here on Friday for a rally. Does that help or hurt uh, candidates here? Does that help Martha McSally or hurt her? I'm still inclined to believe that it helps. Trump won Arizona. I know that there are opinion polls that show that he has a higher disapproval rating than an approval rating. Um, but when it came time to choose, a majority of Arizonans voted for, for Trump. Um, and I do think he has the potential uh, to help increase core Republican turnout. Um, so uh, my my belief is, is that from a tactical standpoint, what McSally is doing makes sense. And certainly she has welcomed his appearance, so she believes that it will have that benefit. And, and if you notice, um, Kirsten Sinema, in contrast to other Democrats across the country, is not running against Trump. Um, she, uh, her criticism of McSally wasn't that... Um, wasn't Trump, it was that she was not her own person, uh, that she was just doing what the president asked her to do, whereas cinema is depicting herself as the bipartisan independent mm -hmm. who picks and chooses. Uh, but, but she's not running an anti-Trump campaign. And from the beginning of this race, said she was not going to run an anti-Trump campaign. And the Kavanaugh vote was one of the early questions that, and one of these serious uh, divisive issues, uh, McSally said that she would vote for him. Cinema uh, was pressed on it and eventually said she would not have voted for him. What that, about that? That was curious to me because she had, she had announced her opposition to him um, a while back. So like, why didn't so, she just so, come out and yeah, say no? Yeah, so, so why she was so roundabout about it in this particular context, I, I don't know, as opposed to I would have voted against him and here's the reason why. So do you think, um, and there's a lot of discussion how this would affect the midterms, uh, the nomination itself, the Republicans pushing uh, this nomination through despite some you know, reservations on various fronts, and then the Democratic reaction to it um, and, and the willingness to kind of jump on these additional accusations um, was kind of seen and, and is being used as oh, the Democratic mob. Do you have any predictions on whether that's going to bump uh, I, swing it either way? Th th this is a very unconfident um, inclination. 
Uh, I believe that it has the potential to reduce the Democratic advantage in turnout in this election. Um, I do think that it energizes the Republican base more than it additionally uh, energizes what already was a highly energized Democratic base. There's um, other other issues that we'll just uh, leave it there. Um, Fact-checking the, the health care debates, um, there was charges thrown back and forth about pre-existing conditions. Same thing about cutting Social Security, Medicare. Um, you can read those uh, probably in a Robert Rod column. Uh, <laughs> fact-checking, uh, fact-checking those. You have written about those, right? Well, I, I wrote about, I have written in passing about the pre-existing conditions. Um, the Republicans funded them in a different way. Mm -hmm. They weren't proposing that people with pre-existing conditions be thrown out to the curb and left out of our health care system. Um, my column on Wednesday uh, will be about uh, the Medicare debate and how uh, what I think is a misrepresentation of what uh, the Republicans uh, have proposed in budget resolutions, not only in this campaign, but throughout the country. So you can look for that uh, at azcentral.com, Robert Robb's uh, opinion piece. Last question, what's the over-under on the Suns this year? The season starts this week. How many wins are they going to get? <laughs> well, as, as you know, I sort of checked out. After being a lifelong Suns fan, um, just devoted, listening to them on the radio when I was um, a teenager, uh, I've lost interest and aren't following them. Um, so your judgment about that <laughs> uh, would actually be significantly more informed than mine. I'm, I'm optimistic. I like our, like our young I like our young core. Uh, it's hard to win in the West right now. I don't, I, don't, I don't see the rush to try to win right now. Your, your players are young, and realistically, you got a two- or three-year growth period to get, to get really competitive. So I don't understand the urge, like, oh, we got to get a point guard right now. we got to get this right now. Because, I mean, these guys are going to develop and grow, and Aiden's a rookie. And, but I'm, I'm back. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to watch some, uh, some Suns this year, also to just sort of get out of the – get out of the feisty that political might be world. Enough to bring me back as well. <laughs> well, thank you everybody for listening. This is the Political Notebook podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, or Google Play or any other podcasting app.